Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who could do that too, if they had those tools. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. What's going on, everybody? It is show number 536. And on today's show, we're talking about demonstrating woodworking, shoulder planes, dealing with splinters, and applying Rubio to a frame and panel. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Rockler is giving away a $250 gift card to one lucky Wood Talk listener. Enter for your chance to win before October 31st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. And, and it's my turn. Mm-hmm. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. We got seven more folks to thank this week. That's a lot of people. Where are all these people coming from? Are they coming out of the woodwork? Bad joke of the day. Thank you, Andrew Slaughter. Thank you, Jack. Riley Telford. Richard Spain. Matthew Hoff. Mike Oxlong and Stephen Habits. Oh yeah. That's great. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I listened to, uh, I'm not going to name the podcast because it, it's kind of like making fun of them a little bit, but they thank their patrons and it's a two host show and the uh, second host insists on rereading the names so that they can thank them personally. <laughs> it's really like, I get it. It's a super nice thing to do. The other person's Canadian. So that's probably why, right? They're, they're super nice people. Aren't is that they? how it works? That's what the rumor is. So like you got to th- well, imagine if each one of us had to go through and thank all those people individually. They would have three different pronunciations. Say, of names. Three one different of them ways. is bound to be right. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe if we're lucky. I just think it's funny. Okay. But thank you everybody who supports the show. We appreciate it. We and uh, this is a dining table episode. So Shannon, we want to kick off the topic and sure. uh, pass the gravy. All right. The gravy. Mm. gravy. <laughs> uh, Drew inspired this with his question. He says, my city tourism board, huh? Wood pun. 
reached out asking if I'd be willing to be an interactive and or educational booth about woodworking at our autumn festival taking place at the City Arboretum on October 1st. Ooh, we're actually going to get this in in time for him to hear this. Um, nice. As, as I am mostly a power tool woodworker, I don't have any ideas for interactive, but for the educational part, I said I'd be willing to have some samples of joinery, like a mitered corner, mitered with a spline, mortise and tenon, box joint, etc. I uh, have both glued and dry fit examples to demonstrate how they work. I'm also considering having scraps of one or two local domestic species from rough sawn with bark still on, down to having the finally finely finished piece to show how beautiful a tree becomes um, when a tree becomes a beautiful piece of furniture. Have any of you ever done something like this? And do you have additional recommendations to educate children and adults on woodworking? Uh, one note, I did ask if they would have a booth about responsible, sustainable forestry and that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm waiting to hear back. So yeah, that is a, a, another option. So um, this kind of jumped out at me because you guys might remember I volunteered at a museum for, gosh, eight years, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and every Saturday it was this. Um, I've also uh, done a bunch of these type of things for uh, not only my wife's school, but that has turned into like school district type stuff. Like the, the local district heard that it did something for the private school and then they wanted me to do it. So I've done both uh, like at a fall festival type thing, but then also specific programs geared towards kids. Um, we would have kids come and tour the museum and we would have to do a special presentation. And there were times when I went to them. So my perspective is a little bit different because as a hand tool woodworker, I was able to do stuff. You know, I didn't have a roaring machine um, in the background, but I don't know that that necessarily has to limit you. Um, First of all, if you're, if you're going to do something with power tools, this may sound obvious, but make sure you have power. <laughs> Silly, but <laughs> you may not. Like, you know, he's saying at the, at the Arboretum, you know, I remember doing a festival one time and it was literally in, in the city park. And while I probably could have run an extension cord, it was a major issue. Um, so you do need to make sure you have that. But th there's nothing to say you couldn't use you know, something like a biscuit joiner or something like that. You know, that's a, a relatively quiet machine. Heck, even a domino. Scroll saw. Yeah. You know, there are there are machines that are not, you know, stationary table saws that require dust collection and all that stuff. Um, scroll saw is one that you see, I see at the state fair all the time. There's always some guy with a scroll saw, like making puzzles and things like that. Um, and that can be the interactive part is what's going to drag people in. Um, the joinery is nice and the fact that, you know, people can lay hands on it and take them apart, that will be something that will get them there. But what's going to pull in the crowds and what's frankly going to make it more fun for you as the demonstrator is actually being able to do some work. So I can think of a couple of hand tool options, um, recognizing that, you know, it's coming up quickly, but ironically, uh, wood shavings were the biggest hit ever. So if you have a hand plane, think about bringing it along and a board. Um, <laughs> Here's a hand Making plane. that shaving, it's like magic to the, the woodworking layman. Um, they go nuts and they want to keep it. Like I would have people coming up and like, oh, can, can I have that? You know, like, well, 
yeah, sure. You know, hand them this light, fluffy, smooth plane shaving. And, and like some of the kids thought it was the greatest thing ever. I had women coming up and saying, oh my God, that smells so wonderful. I want to make like a fragrant sachet out of it or something like here, hand them a handful of shavings <laughs> to the point where I started bringing <laughs> Ziploc bags along and just stuffing shavings into the bag. And they were thrilled. They're so happy to do this. Take it a step further and you can either make one or you can like go to uh, Lee Valley and buy one, a spill plane is like the coolest thing ever to demonstrate. And if, if you're not familiar with what a spill is, um, in colonial America, they used spills to transfer fire from the hearth to a candle because they didn't have matches, at least not early on. And you couldn't stick your candle into the fire because the candle would melt. Um, so a spill is a tightly coiled shaving. Uh, it's done with a skew plane. So you get, it turns into kind of a long kind of rod that's really tightly coiled. And you can stick that rod into the fire it lights easily because it's a wood shaving and then you transfer the flame there so you use a spill plane to create a spill and that demo and that little spiel that i just gave was like you thought that i was like david copperfield or something like that like what have you done you gave a you gave a spiel on a spill i did a spiel spill 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 (laughs) spiel yeah (laughs) spiel on a spill They're, they're spilling, spilling. Um, <laughs> gotta be careful with my German words. So, um, the, uh, um, yes. the, so that in and of itself <laughs> was, was amazing, um, to, to be able to give them something to take away. So that would be however you want to do this. Like if you have a jigsaw, you know, or a scroll saw and you can create two interlocking puzzle pieces and give that to a child, you will make their day and mom and dad will be so thrilled with you. Um, so there's so many little things. I encourage you to think about how you can make it somewhat interactive. Now, by interactive, obviously, you know, you can't touch the tools, kids. Like, and kids meaning like 35-year-old dads as well. Can't touch the tools, <laughs> big kids Don't and bother. little kids. Um, but the more the more you can actually like show stuff being made, the more fun you're going to have, the more impact you're going to have on the whole thing. Everything that he's already planning Good stuff, like the joints in the background, you know, showing uh, like you could even take a log and split it and just have like half the log and kind of go from that to finished product. That's all very, very cool. But the kids won't care. (laughs) They're going to (laughs) want to they're going to want to pick stuff up. Um, One tool that you can use, certainly you, you need to be cautious with this. There needs to be like supervision on this, but a brace and a bit or like an egg beater drill. Kids love to drill holes. They also love to hammer stuff. So if you have a bunch of holes and some dowels and they hammer those pegs into the holes and say, this was early wooden nails, like this is how they join stuff together. Oh my God, they go nuts. Like buy some, uh, well, I'm in Maryland, so you can find these anywhere, but buy crab mallets, little like wooden mallets for cracking open crabs. Oh yeah, yeah. Those make hammers for little, little kids. Yeah. Um, Drill a bunch of holes into a board, have some, some dowels laying about. And they can. What about a dowel plate? I was just I thinking the same thing. There you yeah. go. Give them some pre-made dowels. Let them go home with them. That or is use nuts. them right there. Like I did a I did a class on um, wedged um, making a small stool using like staked joinery, and the the assembling it was you stick the the leg into the hole and then drive a wedge into an already cut kerf. So I had done all the prep work. All the kids had to do was stick the the, the leg through the seat and then hammer the wedge in and. It was like the greatest hit ever. This worked for kindergartners all the way up through eighth graders. Like freaking loved it. Went nuts. 
So that type of stuff, you can be surprised what you can do. Um, and it's so much fun. Um, if you can't tell by my somewhat agitated speaking voice, it's a lot of fun. I've had a great deal of a very rewarding experience doing all that. So that being said, I completely dominated this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think you probably have the most experience in that yep. kind of situation. <laughs> like I've done demos, I've done classes, but I've never had the passers by kind of situation where it's just random people who didn't even know I was there. Yeah, uh, never had that. Done one is to like people who are already familiar with woodworking to right. some extent. Yeah, yeah well, I would be woefully unprepared for well, something like that. There's there's the irony because in the average woodworking guild, half of them are asleep. So. <laughs> oh, they don't get to see it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stop hating on the guilds. Uh, I know you would think <laughs> the membership. I did. I did. Like, I know. what thirty seven presentations. Those. <laughs> He's got the experience. <laughs> I've done my time. <laughs> I can yeah. say what I want now. <laughs> now I can just say that those are great ideas. I think the, the, the joints to play with, I know my kids would go for those first and being able to take something home, you know, that's relatively valueless to us as woodworkers that like the normies out there look at and go, Oh my God, this is amazing. And uh, it's all great ideas. Muggles. I love it. Yeah. Right? If you can get yeah. your hands on like some Eastern cedar or aromatic cedar, whatever you want to call it and a spill plane, you will be the most popular booth at the entire fair. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You'll have That's the Martha cool. Stewart people coming up to you going, oh, I'm going to make a fragrant sachet. <laughs> Garnish my Eventually. table with aromatic cedar spills. Neat. Okay. So we got a kickback here. This is from Corey. He says on episode 532, you had a question about determining shop layout. I recently moved from a 600 square foot in a shared four car garage to a dedicated building on my new property that is 1600 square feet. And I had a completely blank canvas to make a plan. I ended up taking cardboard and making cutouts of each of my tools to include uh, marking feed directions with large arrows. The lightweight cardboard allowed me to shift the arrangement around and walk through the physical space, imagining workflow. I think I did about 30 iterations in an hour, making tweaks and measuring in-feed and out-feed distances. This helped me arrange things for a good workflow, determining where I needed electrical drops and Help me shrink the dust collection runs by splitting the shop into two parts, one for machines and the other for hand tools, assembly, finishing, and lumber storage. Uh, so my recommendation for the guy trying to deter uh, determine how space, uh, how to space his pole barn out for a wood shop is to use the physical space and all, and all it costs is uh, scrap cardboard and a marker to fill the layout. Did we, I don't remember how long ago this was. Did I mention the Katz Moses uh, PDF thing that he came out with a couple weeks ago? I don't know. Timing is pretty close. So yeah, if you know, know Jay Katz Moses, go to his website. Uh, he has a PDF printout that's doing exactly what Corey's talking about. It's a grid work that you can print out to scale and you could tape the pieces together to get as big of a shop as you need. And then he has some sample tools that you also print out, which even includes in-feed and out-feed spacing. And you could adjust if you don't think you need as much as he says, you can cut it and just rotate these little pieces around and move them around the grid work and uh, do a very non-digital version of uh, shop layout. It's pretty cool. Right a good suggestion there, Corey. Sounds like a good way to kill time too. Yeah, it's fun. Just fun. Very cool. All right. Well, the funny thing is I'm going through this with my shop now. I started with that and I started with a very rough drawing, but I very quickly got to the point where that was only going to get me so far. Like I needed to be, cause this is an existing uh, building with existing uh, obstacles and things in the way that you, unless you're standing in there and looking at it, you may not notice those things. 
So I kind of quickly, like that was a good place to start, but then eventually you do have to get in there and start putting the tools in place and finding what those real uh, restrictions and obstacles might be. Okay. Very nice. Well, uh, we got a mid-roll to do here, so let's do it. Uh, Ooh, visit oh, a rocker you know store. <laughs> you know what? what? I'm, what? I'm sorry. I have to go back. I just remembered a, a demo thing that this guy has to try. A drawboard joint. Oh. I have, I have the greatest picture of uh, I'm holding a mortise and tenon, like a T-joint mortise and tenon. Um, and there's this like five-year-old kid hanging off of it. And I'm swinging him around because <laughs> I was demonstrating oh, like you know, how the draw bore makes it super, super strong. And the kid was mm-hmm. like, well, how strong is it? Could I hang on it? And I'm like, sure, go with it. And <laughs> so I'm like holding like the center. Please sign this waiver. And yeah, mom, sign this. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to <laughs> swing him around, but he's like hanging off of it. And that's just, sorry, totally. Just remember so you that. So get a whole bunch of draw bore joints set up and ready to go. Yeah, tap tap the peg in place and then, you know, here you go, grab onto this. And then you can like lift them off the ground with it. And the crowd goes wild. All right. Sounds like a liability. I'm a a (laughs) show monkey. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you visit a Rockler store or rockler.com, you can find a whole bunch of great stuff like lumber. They have all of your lumber needs there. It's great. Rockler has uh, dramatically expanded their assortment of quality hardwoods, exotics, live edge slabs, and turning, excuse me, turning lumber in most stores. That's hard to read sometimes when you don't realize how it's being used. Turning lumber as opposed to turning lumber. You know what I'm saying? You with me on that one? No? Okay. From Paduke to Cherry to Walnut and more, you're sure to find what you need for your next project. (laughs) If you're not by a store, you can check out their website for domestic and exotic lumber, plywood, including their new American birch plywood, uh, veneer, dowel rods, live edge slabs, and more. You hear that, Matt? They're encroaching on your territory. You should be worried. I am very worried. (laughs) I have all the worry. (laughs) All the worries are mine. Uh, They can ship directly to your house, which is pretty awesome. Um, Their expert retail associates and product support team can provide expert assistance if you have a question about your lumber purchase. So visit rockler.com to view their inventory for a store near you. And you can also shop online. So good. We talked about that before. The inventory online is pretty awesome. So you can kind of see what they have before you go to the store or uh, pick the board and say, I want that one. Send it to me, please. Give me that one. Give me that. I want it. All right. Hmm. I'm looking at their American birch plywood right now. I did not know that they were carrying this. I don't know who the manufacturer is. Is it just a bunch of like flags? (laughs) Stars and stripes? Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. That's all it is. Mm, Good stuff. You know, America. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) let's get out of here quickly um (laughs) quick very quickly okay got a question here got a few questions here this one is from brooke i am building a large king size solid walnut bed that has some frame and panel elements i want to finish the edges of the panel before the glue up to prevent any raw wood showing with wood movement however i don't want to finish the full panel at that point and risk scratching or messing with the finish I'm planning to use Rubio Pure, first time using Rubio as my finish. Would there be any issues with blending or anything on finishing just the edges and coming back later to do the rest? Okay, so the Rubio is actually, I found particularly good in terms of if you do a start and stop kind of thing. In fact, if you're doing a large piece, a lot of times the recommended method is to, um, you know, only get what you can get within a like a 15 minute time span. Uh, which sometimes does have you stopping and starting. You want to avoid it as much as possible. I mean, anytime you put a finish 
onto the wood and then have a, a stop line, there's always a chance you're going to get that little witness line between them, uh, between the two applications. So avoid it. But if it has to happen, it's not necessarily the end of the world. I think in, in terms of a raised panel and you kind of just did that edge, even if there was a slight little line that you could see after the fact between the two applications, I seriously doubt you're going to notice it or see it, um, especially as the piece just ages over the, the first year of its life. So I don't think it's too big of a concern. Uh, I also think you might just consider not worrying about it and just assembling your frame and panel doors. That oil, when you do the perimeter, it's going to seep under there. It's actually going to get pretty deep. Um, just capillary action is going to pull it uh, into the space, into that groove. And I don't think you're going to have any exposed um, you know, edges around the perimeter there. So you know, I think you got two choices here. You could uh, do what you're saying and not have to worry about it too much or just completely disregard it and finish the panel when it's all said and done. Um, here's a third thing. If you have any things later, like let's say the exposed stuff, you do see some kind of a line, you could always sand it back a little bit. Um, that's one of the things that makes Rubio great is its repairability. So if you see something you don't like, just give it a light little sanding with a 180 or whatever your finished grit was and go back and reapply that Rubio uh, on top of it. And it should look pretty darn good. That's it. Very nice. I like it. Uh, this is from Corey. He says, I'm starting to lean towards hand tools for joinery and I'm currently using a chisel to clean up things like tenons. Is your shoulder plane something to invest in? They're expensive. Are they used for anything other than tenon cleanup? Uh, different schools of thoughts on this. My school of thought is hell no. <laughs> I, I think it's one of, at least in my shop, the shoulder plane is one of the most useless tools. Um, I have sold uh, all but one. Um, and I, I had like small, medium and large at one point because I was told that was what I had to have. Um, and then I just realized I just wasn't using it. Um, a lot of people try to use a shoulder plane as a rabbit plane. That's a bad idea. It's not a rabbit plane. Um, and to me, just cleaning up the tenon shoulders was just so much faster and easier and actually better using a chisel. Um, I always will slightly undercut my tenon shoulders and you know, whether this is true or not, I'm convinced that it uh, uh, controls some of the squeeze out. You know, as you're pushing that tendon into the mortise and you get that hydraulic squeeze out coming up, if you've got a little spot in there that some of that squeeze out can, for lack of a better term, pool in, I don't get as much squeeze out around the tendon. Although I probably just don't use as much glue as I used to when I started woodworking. <laughs> when you first start, you're like, yeah. God, put some glue on this. And you like empty the bottle on the whole tendon. But to me, you know, reaching, like stopping what I'm doing to go and get the shoulder plane. And then I always ended up like getting spelching on the end of the shoulder because I would go too far and have to turn around and come back the other direction. It just seems like uh, a tool that, um, the, well, let me also say, if you are embracing a hybrid approach where maybe you formed that tenon on, you know, whatever power tool, I can't even think of what power tools to use anymore. That's terrible. You I've know, been away from one of so those long. tools with a blade. What are those I things? Think a jointer you know? maybe would do that for yeah. you. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> use a use. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, um, the 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 shoulders and the junction with the shoulder and the tendon is probably going to be pretty dang square and flat to begin with, and you're just kind of slightly truing it up. Um, that may make more sense to have a shoulder plane, but if you've hand cut the entire joint. Um, you may find that there's a little bit more work to be done and it requires a little bit more agility than the shoulder plane can offer. The chisel, you can exactly see where you're cutting. You can cut exactly where you need to cut 
Um, and it, it's just, it's to me, it's so much easier. So I think it is just different schools of thought. Um, you know, I know it's a big tool used amongst like the power tool guys who are using hand tools just to finesse the joint, the hybrid guy. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was going to say like, that's like one of my more popular tools to reach right. for. That's I why I say it's a different schools of thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's something about it too. The uh, heft and the, just the format yeah. of the tool just really feels good, especially I'm not even talking about the shoulder of the tendon. If you're just doing face, uh, that's like the cleanups. least likely thing for me to use it on would be the shoulder. <laughs> that's the that funny thing. True. Like when yeah. I have to do that, I'm like, uh, cause actually <laughs> if I do, like you're saying, Shannon, if I do have to do that, I probably wasn't paying attention enough on another step of the process. Yeah. But just a quick swipe to clean up a tendon cheek. Love it for that. It just is such a fun tool to have in hand. Mm. But it's not necess- totally necessary if you got like a rabbiting block plane. I was going to um, say. There's a great 10 and cheek cleanup tool. Do you have a rabbiting block plane, yeah, Mark? But I do. I was yeah. going to say, try that. Next time you reach for the shoulder plane, try the rabbiting block plane. Just the lower like center of gravity on it. It's just so much easier to control. That's the issue that yeah. I have with the shoulder plane is they're too tall eh, nah, for that. Nah. I find the other way. I'm like, I hate using the rabbiting block plane for yeah. actually any kind of rabbiting cleanup at all. Ah, yeah. ironic. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. It's I, terrible. The format. It's a terrible form factor for it. I just love the shoulder plane format. That height just feels like you can get the yeah, right it gets, angle it gets on your it. your hands out of the way. Yeah. And the Veritas one has that little, um, the handle at the top kind of pivots and moves. Yeah. So you can get the that right. handle thing. You get it right into the, the crotch of your thumb or whatever that's called. <laughs> the, it's, the, yeah, it's the crotch of your thumb now. The I mean, meat that, of your thumb. <laughs> Man, I love that. Your thumb crotch. <laughs> yeah, it's a thumb crotch. Show title. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See, and this is what makes woodworking fun is there's no one way to do it. I thought you were going to say all the words. That oh yeah, the funny well, ones maybe maybe inappropriate in other yeah. areas of life, but thumb, totally fine. Thumb yeah. crotch doesn't come up much in other pursuits. Doesn't come up in <laughs> woodworking much until now. So you don't get that with knitting. Do no, you? no thumb crotch. Thumb crotch action. I don't know. Ask Margaret. You guys ever talk about <laughs> thumb crotches in uh, in your crocheting circles? You know, if anyone ever just listens to these segments and has never heard anything before, they'd be like, "What the hell." Well, they wouldn't listen for Is long. <laughs> what am I listening to right yeah. now? I sometimes wonder that myself. Why am I listening to this right now? <laughs> How, <laughs> How did this why? even happen? There's, there's got to be better things for me to be doing with my time. Mm-hmm. Listening to this. Yeah. All right. I think you're up, Matt. Okay. I guess. All right. It's from <laughs> Kyle. I've listened to you all talk about shop safety, proper jointing techniques, and the ever popular content creation. Us? <laughs> yep, never for some time now <laughs> but i don't believe you ever have addressed how to deal with the universal enemy splinters darker woods are easy to spot for me but those pesky oak pine cherry splinters can be hard to pinpoint what's your secret the only bonus to all this is my wife willingly touches me <laughs> <laughs> to help remove the splinters <laughs> which causes me pain and brings her happiness. Wow. Maybe woodworking is a relationship saver. Thanks, Kyle in Minnesota, but nowhere near Matt. <laughs> Distance is relative, Kyle. It's, uh, it's all relative. Oh, man. That was great. So I, <laughs> besides absolutely loving the way this question has been phrased for us, <laughs> uh, I don't get many splinters ever. And I don't know if it's like the way I like handle materials or like the species that I work with. But maybe I'll have one like once a year 
And actually, now that I think about it, plywood is the one thing that gives me splinters. Mm. Like solid wood never had a splinter from solid wood. So I don't know, again, like if it's the way I handle the material or the species or what, but it doesn't ever seem to be something that I have to worry about. If I'm going to wear gloves, it's because of the abrasive nature of rough sawn lumber, like, but not because I'm afraid of splinters because that's mm-hmm. never an issue for me. So I don't know. Do you guys have to deal with this a lot? Is this actually like a thing people deal with a lot? I, uh, I had the same reaction. I maybe get a splinter a year. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm working with like Wenge, <laughs> then it's no, oh, yeah, it's a per hour rate on splinters. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for just regular splinters, you're right. It's the plywood little strip of veneer that I wasn't expecting to be there. Kind of yeah. uh, splinter. I do wear gloves around rough lumber, not even because of protecting my hands, but it gives me a better grip. So I find it easier to move raw boards. Um, but yeah, I, same thing. I mean, maybe once a year I've got those uh, tweezer man or whatever they're called, the, the real good tweezers in the uh, little med kit. And uh, I mean, I don't really have any bad splinters to speak of, but the ones that I do that need that thing, it's there, man, maybe a couple a year at the most. Yeah. I think it's a species thing. Cause I'm trying to think of when I've had them. Uh, I've had a few from Sapili, um, and that's kind of a, well, that's a dusty wood, but I could see it being somewhat splintery where I get splinters is from like big box lumber like pine and fir and you know what you I, I was going to say cheaper lumber but it's not anymore um <laughs> uh that that type of stuff i mean i think pine can be quite splintery and especially in in my shop because i'm you know using a handsaw for the cross cutting side of things you get the bottom side of the cut can be kind of ragged and i'll get them there but it it's really just from that type of lumber the the hardwood mm-hmm. stuff doesn't splinter as much um, and I've actually got a really like nice pair of tweezers. They actually have a little like built in led light, like in between, like up at the hinge of the oh, tweezer, nice. there's a little cylinder with an led light. Fancy. It's really sweet. I picked it up at, um, someplace in Maine, um, near Lee Nielsen. And, uh, yeah, I've had it so long that I think the battery and the light has died now. It just doesn't get used very much, but yeah, I think species has a lot to play. Hmm. Well, if you have this constant problem, one thing I'd recommend is a like magnifying headset. Uh, when I have had the splinters that required a little bit of work, invaluable. Specs. Yeah, some kind of sexy specs to allow you to see what that tweezer <laughs> is doing. Um, and it makes a huge difference. I've taken splinters out of my kids' fingers. That's the first thing I grab is the, the tweezers and the little headset. Um, because it's amazing how much easier it is to do that when you can see what the heck you're doing. Especially if you have like run the chance of leaving a little sliver in there, you, you can see what's going on with those. So that's kind of a, a one-two punch of splinter removal, at least in my shop. Which takes me back to the opening conversation about demos. Make sure your stuff is well sanded. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to have somebody handling that joint and get a splinter from it. That's not good. Yeah. Not good. All right. So I have another question here. I'm going to add to the list because we're running a little uh, quick on this show. So one more question here. And what? the person's name is Mateo. So... Gonna have to, gonna have to read it. Although he spells it differently than we spelled Mateo's. Okay. It's about breadboard ends. He says, guys, I build quite a few tables in a year. And typically I like to do more traditional glue ups with beautiful straight boards. Most of the time as live edge isn't straight. I usually start from slabs and go through the milling process as good dimensional lumber up in my area is hard to find. I post my stuff on Facebook groups and I keep being told that I should do breadboard ends to keep everything stable. Personally, I flat out hate breadboard ends 
Just the look of them isn't my style, nor a signature of mine. Why are people so fixated on explicit word? I'll let you guys fill in the blank. (laughs) Breadboard ends. Okay. This is one of those perspective things. I didn't know people were fixated on breadboard ends. That's (laughs) right. Like, I mean, from his perspective, he's, I don't know. He's heard it enough. So he must see that, that side of it, but I didn't realize people were fixated on them. I certainly don't see that, that, you know, being used that much. I would say if there's a fixation that I've noticed, it's the adding the steel uh, like you channel, which we've talked about in previous shows to the underside of slabs. That seems to be a fixation from my perspective anyway. I don't or know. well, like there was a while there where you didn't see a breadboard in without an ebony plug. It was like green or green or nothing. <laughs> yeah. Green, green or bust. <laughs> yeah. The green and green ones are nice, though, like if you're doing a breadboard end because your uh, you know, method of attachment can just be kind of a broken uh, tongue across the, the width of the table. And then you're just doing your pulling in with screws from the outside and you're plugging those screw holes. It's actually quite nice yeah. as opposed to like a draw bore methodology. It's easier. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't even we, we talked about this. Go see our show when we talked about the C channel stuff. Um, that we don't necessarily even think that's necessary. Therefore, also breadboards aren't necessary. And I think we've even talked on, on the show about breadboards in that, like, unless stylistically it's a statement you want to make on the piece, don't do breadboards. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like he's having yep. he's having luck doing it the way he's doing it. Tell those people to shut up. And if uh, <laughs> if it's good quality lumber that's been milled properly and handled properly, there's a real good chance it doesn't need anything else to stay flat. Unless well, you really I, want to add it as an insurance policy. I think that's where it comes in. It's, it's well, call it what it is. It's marketing. Like somebody has, has said, okay, and this has a breadboard in to help keep it flat. So then someone else said, right. oh, I need to put a breadboard in on this to keep it flat. And it's become yep. a feature now. Um, you know, and it, it originally started with somebody saying, there's a reason I'm charging, you know, X hundred dollars for this. It's because it has breadboard ends. You know, and, that, and it's just kind of domino effect from there. That's a... Probably a really good point. Should I, I pull another question? I'm, the, I'm the, the cause of all this crap. You got a good one? <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking through. You never know. One that's quickish? I don't know. Let's just do it. Ken Davis says, plane setup. I'm a noob and I'm having issues with setting my bench dog number five to get consistent results with various species of wood. Now and then I get lucky with walnut and pine, but awful with maple. My blade is sharp enough to give me a tooth owl shaving with walnut my question is, is there someone who gives classes, excuse me, on plane setup and techniques within, um, this is a local question, within 500 miles of Kansas City, Missouri? Absolutely. So, off isn't, the top of your head, you got some suggestions? Isn't the, Mark, isn't the Mark Adams School like within 500 miles of Kansas City, Missouri? That would be the first one. I would I say so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if he gives a specific plane setup class, but Mark Adams does all kinds of classes of, of, you know, various things throughout the year. So check, definitely check their catalog. Well, the issue he's having is not least. uncommon. Um, hard yeah. maple is a pain. It's a pain to hand plane. Um, and I still question whether or not your blade is sharp enough. If you're getting a, you know, a couple thousand shaving on walnut. Sure. But walnut is a much softer semi ring porous wood. It's actually very easy to plane. Um, hard maple can cause problems. Um, the other thing you always have to look at is if you're trying to take like light, fluffy, smooth plane shavings and you're having trouble getting a shaving. First of all, what does having trouble mean? Like 
the plane's just skipping it over or the plane is clogging, the plane is jamming. Nine times out of 10, when people are struggling taking smoothing plane thickness shavings, the board just isn't flat enough. You know, and, and the plane is is being, the rather the plane blade is being lifted out of the cut by the topography of the board. Because you've got your, you think, think of it, you're taking a thousandth of an inch shaving, your plane blade is hanging below the sole by a thousandth of an inch approximately. So if the board is more than a thousandth of an inch out of flat, then the toe of the plane rides up over that little hump and it pulls the blade out of mm-hmm. the cut. You know, that that's a, a very common thing to see. So then you advance the blade a little bit thinking, oh, I, you know, the blade's not out far enough. And you maybe get some dust and you advance it again. And then suddenly it grinds to a halt, you know, because it hits that that lump in the maple um, and maple is a hardness of around 1500 Jenka. It pushes back real hard, whereas the walnut gives a little bit more. So you run into the same situation with the topography, but the walnut, you're able to get the shaving on the walnut or you've advanced the blade so much that you're getting a consistent shaving, uh, but you may still be kind of riding over the the little valleys and things. So there, there's a, there's a bunch of ways, um, that this can go wrong. Um, and we just don't have enough information to quite address it. So yeah, mm-hmm. it is one of those things I would even like reach out if you, if you need that kind of in-person instruction. Um, I imagine there's gotta be a woodworking school somewhere within that region, but you also probably could look on, uh, please don't strike me down for saying this, forums or Facebook groups and find folks in your region, reach out to a local woodworking guild. There's got to be somebody there that can watch what you're doing and and walk you through that. Hmm. That'd be my suggestion. Maybe check your local Rockler store. There you go. I Could be someone that. there that uh, has some affinity for hand tools and can help. After all, he's using a bench dog Rockler branded plane. Isn't that what that he is, said? Yeah. There you go. This yeah. should be part of the warranty is a uh, tool setup. Part of the warranty. <laughs> this tool's not working right anymore can you help this don't work <laughs> got me some bad wood <laughs> okay one more i'm gonna squeeze out of the uh, inbox here from doug about upscale router tables recently i saw online that mark is now using a woodpecker router table setup i know that in the past he's had experience with incra table systems and in the more distant past the festool router table at this point you've had a fair amount of experience with premium router table systems other old timers often online seem to uh, decry any fancy systems at all. What are your thoughts uh, after having experience across a range of router tables at this point? What are some of your thoughts on the various systems that you've used? He says, thanks. Love listening to you guys. And I wish Rockler were closer to me. Don't we all? Don't we all? Shannon does too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have done these and it's mostly just, you know, wanting to experience the uh, differences between the various systems. Um, I think every, this is one of those situations where everyone maybe has a different perspective and they're all right. Uh, you know, what do you need for a router table? You need a, a sturdy platform, something to mount the router in and uh, ability to get the bit above the table and hopefully some kind of a fence system or a pin system to uh, help stabilize things. Uh, things. Everything else is just extra fluff that's fun uh, and may- maybe makes life a little bit easier, makes things a little bit more accurate. Um, so that's what the fancier tables are going to do for you. You're going to get really nice lift systems. You're going to get fences that have micro adjustment and things. So if you're doing, I mean, my, my favorite use for that, for example, is a sliding dovetail. If I'm trying to route that and get it just perfect, when I sneak up on the perfect fit, boy, is it great to have a fence that just kind of click, click, click as I move it back or move it forward. 
uh, to get the perfect joint. And that is something that I enjoy doing. Is it absolutely necessary? Heck no. Everybody who thinks it's not necessary is totally right. But does it make life easier? Does it make it more fun? Does it make that tool a little bit more useful to me? Sure. Um, so that's what it comes down to. All of these, they kind of have different systems. They've got different plates in them, different, you know, some are made out of plastic, some are metal, some are perforated for dust collection, some aren't. Um, there's just a whole bunch. And I don't blame you for being a little bit maybe overwhelmed by the number of choices there. Uh, but once you get into that premium stuff, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, I didn't switch to these different systems because they were all, you know, I was going looking for something that was better necessarily. It was just I wanted to try it uh, so that I could speak to it when when someone asked me a question about it. So um, but don't don't get under the sort of uh, illusion that you absolutely need these premium router table systems uh, to do good woodworking. You certainly don't. Um, what, Matt, what do you have in your shop? I don't think I've seen your router table. I've got the the Triton Work Center. Oh, OK. So how is that? It's good. I mean, it's, I, I I definitely have like a different. Um, if I fall more into the, I just need to get the bit above the table and be. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah, and and before that, I had a homemade uh, router table. Um, I don't know. Like, is the the tried routers have the built-in router lift, so you don't need an actual lift to go in the table. Mm-hmm. So you just, you can mount to a plate, and they all have the hand crank thing that you can use that. Um, use the integrated lift mechanism within the router itself. Um. I don't know. It's, it's, I would say it's a fairly basic, simple router table setup. I think that's almost like a requirement now, though. The router lift, like I remember when I was yeah. getting started, that was a major premium upgrade to go with a router lift. I think that's almost standard now. Right. And I, Where you have to get underneath probably. and twist the, twist the router body to raise it up right. the old well, way. And yeah. just the lack of precision that came from that. I mean, I can't remember what yeah. brand I had. I think it was Jessam. You know, it was like one rotation of the crank was like a 32nd of an inch. <laughs> I was like, this yeah. is nuts. I never had a fence like that, though, that had that kind of precision adjust. That would be kind of nice. Well, the other thing you're going to hear with the old timers <laughs> who uh, don't like the new systems, they're going to also tell you you should just get a shaper, uh, which is another <laughs> classic forum question. Is, uh, uh, yes. Mm. Uh, why don't I just get a shaper? And if you're thinking about that, I mean, if you're doing high throughput and lots of production and lots of raised panels, you need that kind of power. Like big bits. Yeah. Just think they big bits. They don't spin that fast though. So like your little tiny eighth inch bit. And a power feeder. Probably not going to spin fast enough. I highly recommend <laughs> right. I would, I would recommend, but when someone says you should get a shaper before you buy a shaper, find a way to go use one. Cause it's go a look yeah. at one. Go it's tier a, one. It's a terrifying tool. Um, and the reason that they often have power feeders on it is because you don't want to be anywhere near that blade. <laughs> you don't want to be in a line of fire. That's there you go. That's hundred percent. That yeah, right go, go yeah. use one for like an hour. Um, and then determine <laughs> if you really want to sink the money and your fingers <laughs> into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, that oh, was cool. Glad you know, who else can help you? Questions. Who else can help you with your router table? Who has a router table configurator? Not only that, Shannon, if you really like the idea of a shaper and one of the reasons you want a shaper is because you want that cast iron top. Guess what Rockler has? Hey, see, they got cast iron router table tops that you can use. And I've never I've never had the pleasure. But I'll tell you, the router (laughs) table is one of those things with that much weight on it. A lot of times you do get a tendency for there to be some sag at the center where the plate is. 
Uh, and it would be nice to have a cast iron top for that. So that is, if you're really looking for something like that, that's one place yeah. you can get it. And you can use your mass switch feather boards. Some like vibration dampening too, the that mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? That would be nice. A little bit smoother too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. And one more thing to rust. I mean, sorry. <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> People don't have to. How dare you? People don't worry about that, do they? Oh, wait a minute. They do. I've never had that question come in here before. <laughs> for for the never audience. to me, you guys. But Mark occasionally puts notes into the show notes that say somebody come up with a Rockler tie-in. So I was just trying to do what I was told. So <laughs> Just doing your yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's actually very relevant. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. <laughs> normally it's not. <laughs> no, it never is. <laughs> normally it is. It is shoved in a square peg going in a round hole. Uh, family owned since 1954, Rockler is your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $49. And remember to head to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win a $250 gift card. Right on. You know, I actually did a demonstration where I drove a square peg into a round hole. That was also a big hit. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Dow play. I bet it did take a big hit to drive. Aha! <laughs> well done. Nice job. Hey. You're welcome. All right. That's my contribution. Funny for guy. Day. Waka waka. <laughs> well, <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> Nice. Nice. There's our Muppet Show talk. Okay. So if you have some more questions or you know what, if you've done demonstrations and had some success and uh, want to, uh, oh shoot, I just forgot who asked the question. Um, Want to give Drew a helping hand on putting his demonstration together, write in and let us know. I'm always doing these things, obviously. So I'd love to hear new ideas. So go to woodtalkshow.com, fill out the contact form or email us at woodtalkshow at gmail.com and let us know some of that stuff. And uh, yeah, when we have an episode like this where we're actually like going quickly, we may just throw your question in out of the blue. Mm-hmm. You never know. You never know. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time. Always a pleasure. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.